It was a good weekend, but not good enough for the Guardians. Now the biggest series of the season looms. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two get the ball. Subscribe to Selfie is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. So it was kind of giving me the early season vibes we would talk about when the team would get on any sort of roll. You always felt like there was another gear in there that could have been a little bit better. Whether the bullpen blows a game or the defense has an uncharacteristic brain fart or whatever, it always felt like even when they were playing well and things were more positive, it could have just been a little bit better. And this weekend, because of where they're at in the standings and the calendar, the days remaining in the season, they're dropping off, Zach. So you can have a weekend where you take two out of three from a good team in Tampa Bay normally. Any other situation, you'd say good weekend, right? This one just doesn't feel quite good enough. And thank goodness Texas woke up for a minute. Otherwise, they would have completely pooped the bed and helped you none. In fact, would have hurt you this weekend. But as we emerge and people are listening to this most likely on Monday morning, Big se- big series looms, maybe the series of the season, Guardians Twins, and nothing has changed as far as games back or anything like that. So welcome to the Selby is Godcast, buddy. How you feeling? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you look at all three games in both teams' series, and there, there were times when you thought the Guardians were going to lose Friday night, they were going to lose Saturday night, and they were going to win Sunday. And there were times you thought the Twins were going to lose Friday night, the Twins were going to lose Saturday, and the Twins were going to win Sunday. It's it's fun. It's fun to keep tabs on what each team is doing simultaneously. Now, we won't have to do that the next three days because they'll both be right in front of you. Um, it's it's. I hate when people say, well, you're playing meaningful baseball. Okay, there's a difference between being... 66 and 71 and fighting for your postseason lives and being a team headed for 90 wins and trying to navigate playoff positioning or or win a division or whatever. But there is a little bit of a different feel. I don't know if that felt that way to you. It felt that way to me where there was just like a little more sense of urgency, maybe a little more. You just knew there was more at stake. This was not a, you know, when they had their comebacks Friday and Saturday night, it didn't feel like, you know, a, a comeback that no one's going to remember because it happened in a season that didn't matter, right? Like, it it felt like, it felt momentous. And it was fun, and seeing different people get involved is makes it more intriguing, too. So, that is, you know, I, I my hope as an objective observer of all this is just, I would like to watch and chronicle as many of those as possible, right? Like I, I hope that this team is playing meaningful baseball until <laughs> October 1st. Like it's just, it's so much more entertaining and it just like sucks you in so much more than like the baseball we watched in August when they were oh, a yeah. similar number of games out, but it just felt like there was no hope. Yeah. Well, we can throw up all that, objective impartialness all that that can get thrown out you can view the game that way i'll view these under the the prism of every what everybody else is feeling and that is that sense of urgency you're talking about the joy of 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 following another game while the game that you're focused on is happening and being so closely tied to the outcome of that one and your concern and your i've got game day up on my phone and that hit me today the same thing you're just talking about that I, I didn't think we'd be in this position as we've laid out a thousand times. That's mostly due to the twins and keeping the door open for you. But I don't Can know I if it's thing? just the calendar officially slipping to September or what it, the, the lighting at the ballpark, which I mean, if you're going to let me get romantic for a minute, let me do that in a minute. But I don't know. It, just, it did have that, that different feeling this weekend more than any other time during this season. You've mentioned this at some point. But there's like a, 
there could be an article written or it could be a podcast. I, I don't know what it is. There is something about following along on game day, no matter when you're watching, who's playing, whatever, and all, you don't have all the information. You're not watching live. You're not in the building. You are trusting the person who is at the game and their job is to watch what happens and press a button and press another it's button. It's so dangerous. And it's so dangerous. You're hanging on the edge of your seat. You're biting your fingernails and you have to trust this person. They don't always get it right. And you don't. You still don't even know what it means. And when that those words pop up, in play runs the S in parentheses. You don't know what happens. You have to sit there and wait for another 30 no. seconds, sometimes a minute. And like your mind goes a million directions. So many happen? things might have happened. Right? So I think it was, <laughs> I was following the Twins and Rangers, maybe it was Saturday. And I think the Rangers had like the bases loaded and they were down a run. And you see in-play runs. And I'm like, holy shit. This could be a game-tying RBI walk. This could be a sack fly. This could be a grand slam. I mean, there are there are a million things it could be. I have no idea. Is it six six? Is it seven six? Is it eight six? Is it nine six? I mean, it's so. I just I, there's something so. It's like torture and it's <laughs> it is excitement at the same time. It's it's fun. And I just I feel like that it could be torture. a. It could be an article. Someone could write an article just about that sensation. The level of frustration and sometimes flat out anger when someone inputs something wrong. And it doesn't happen very often. I mean, to their credit, there is so much shit happening in that. In a game, to be able to get it all jotted down into a format that anyone could could view and swallow and understand. I mean, that's that's wild. But there are times where, there, I think there were even one today, where it said in play out and then it got overturned into a hit. But I had put my phone down and then I picked it back up and it said that now there was a runner on first base in addition to second base. But in my head mentally, I had filed that away as an out. And I get so frustrated with the person running. Like, who is this idiot that didn't know what they were putting in? And it's so, I mean... In the moment, the frustration bubbles out. I understand it's a tough job. I'm not saying that it's <laughs> that it would be easier than I would do any better. It's just in that moment, right? You just experience things. There's that that feeling in the pit of your stomach when you... It happens in a split second. But it's so unlike an actual game where you're seeing the ball off the bat and you're getting emotions. It's a completely different thing when the ball comes in off the pitcher and then the ball turns blue. So now there's some action. And there's that split second where there's the disconnect between your brain processing in play what? In play what? And sometimes I think I have dyslexia because it reads out is not out. I, I, I have issues myself. It is an, it's a whole new ball game. It's an entirely new ball game. You are so right. Following on the game day app, there's nothing like it. There's, sure, you want to be able to say you watched it, whether in person or on, on TV. But I think we just need a, like a support group for those of us that have ever watched a game via game day because that is, that's an entirely different level of relating to people that I don't think anybody can understand unless you have done that. There are certain ballparks. I think Detroit, I typically sit right behind that person. And there might be some other ones. But I, I, it's, it's, I don't envy those people. That's a lot of pressure. You can't miss a pitch. And I feel like I've seen it before where a lot of shit happens. It's chaos. And especially like at the beginning of an, an inning, because they also have to, sometimes you have like six defensive replacements and switches and a new pitcher and you're trying to log all of that. And then the inning starts and I think they have to mark <laughs> yeah. like every single pitch and yes. it's easy to fall behind. And so you see it sometimes like I, I see this too, like in, um, a lot of times I'm following like a football game on a Saturday or a Sunday and you're, you're sitting there and maybe you're using like the ESPN game cast and it's like, like there was a game I was following Toledo, Illinois Saturday night and it showed, 
Illinois had the ball fourth and four at their own 15, down by one with like two minutes left. And they called a timeout. I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and it's like, oh my God, Toledo can win on this play. Let's go. What happened? How long is this timeout? I'm like, wait, wait did, did the lights go out? Like, what's going on here? Was there a, is there a tornado? Like, this is weird. It's been like five minutes now. How long is this timeout? What's going on? And then all of a sudden, after like no update for seven minutes, Illinois is about to kick a game-winning field goal with five <laughs> seconds left. I'm like, well, what happened in between? So it's like it's that job yeah. is really tough. There's a lot to input. Yes. If you mess something up, I think going back and undoing it and then redoing everything is really hard. And while you're doing that, you might miss another pitch or two, especially yes. with the pitch clock. So <laughs> yes. it, it can be it can be difficult. I did. I just. I. I noticed it this year for the first time. I, I want to say I was in Detroit, and just I. I kind of watched for like a half inning, um, because it was it was just fascinating to see all the things they have to input and like, where was that a check swing? Was it not? Was it strike three looking? Strike three call? I mean, just like all the little details that you have to make sure you mark and like, you know, what was that pitch inside outside? It's just it's it's. It's really interesting, and it's crazy to think that that person is controlling the experience for so many people who are banking on them being accurate and being up to speed. Well, I mean, ideally, you don't want to be at the mercy of somebody else doing that. Sort of like you don't want to be at the mercy of a team being five games back this late in the season. And the fact that you're in it is largely thanks to the Twins, but the reason why you're in this position is largely thanks to yourself. And that's the Guardians. The Angels. <laughs> okay, true, true. And so it's great because this was the first time, I think this is the first time all year where I really cared about what the Twins were doing or anybody else looking at the standings. I know that there are some people that are doing that in April. And hey, if you get enjoyment out of that, if you... En- if you like following the, the races that way, that's great. I can't, like, there's just so much that happens within a baseball season. I would drive myself crazy if I, if I had that level of interest in everybody else on top of following what the Guardians are doing. But this weekend was the first time I realistically cared. Now, we, we had turned the page in this season as much as the Guardians had. But that doesn't mean that I don't want to sit down and break down what happened this past weekend or what lies ahead, it's all important because we experienced this season from hell, and it was comedy at some point, some points, and it was madness at other points, and it was it has been fun, and it's largely been just brutal. So, whether or not it's actually realistic that the Guardians are are in this position, or they really have a shot at taking this division, I don't care, because we all put up with the crap up to this point. I want to have fun with a series that actually means something. And I've heard the, the thought, oh, this is important to the youngsters because they get to experience something that's close to playoff baseball. Part of me, like maybe one hat, is it possible to roll your eye with just one eye? I don't know if that's possible. I, I feel like part of me does. Do like <laughs> Part of me is rolling my, my eye. But the other part of me does feel like, yeah, I think it's important for Gabriel Gabriel Arias and Jose Tena and even guys that have been part of the postseason before. I think all of this, there's no way that it's that it's hurtful for them to be playing games like this. I mean, if it, for us to be talking about games that matter, sure. I mean, I want I would rather be doing that, but I think there is some benefit for Bo Naylor and for Gavin Williams when he makes his next start and Logan Allen who's doing it now and Tanner Bybee who continues to. Be, I think having these games mean something, it's not going to lead to anything definitive in their career. But there's no way you can tell me that there's anything that's not beneficial about them going through these and having a series against Tampa Bay, which was hard fought and and so fun on Saturday night, seeing them storm back. And I want to talk about Bo Naylor in a little bit, but the game he had on Saturday where he just impacted so many different elements of the game. This is this is part of what's fun. If this was just a veteran team playing out this, being five games back, I don't know that I would experience this quite the same way with the level of interest that I have, given what the team is and what it could mean to a lot of guys that either haven't been through this before or have gone through it but very, very little. So another run through some meaningful baseball 
doesn't really hurt. I mean, when they're when it's inexperienced players, there's so much you don't know, and there's so much they don't know. What was the the prevailing theme last year? Or narrative was they're too young to understand what they're accomplishing, or they're too young to to really be able to acknowledge the pressure of the moment. Um, you know, I remember talking to Will Brennan during the Yankees series and the division series. And he admitted, he's like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been in the major leagues for two weeks and I'm standing here facing Garrett Cole in the playoffs. Like I'm, I'm taking batting practice at Yankee stadium where we have, you know, a chance to, to win and advance to the ALCS. I'm like, how did I get here? This is insane. And he's like, of course I have jitters. I'm nervous. And I'm, and so, yeah, that's, that helps. Because you come to spring training the next year and it's like, there's not a ton you haven't seen, right? Or there's not a ton that's going to phase you once you've been through that, even once. Now, as you said, that doesn't guarantee anything. You know, that didn't launch Will Brennan into a rookie of the year campaign here. Um, But it can't hurt. And it is good for everybody. And it's another reminder, too, of what you're striving for when you're in a funk and it's April or it's May or there's 10,000 fans in the stands somewhere. It's, it's a Tuesday in early May and you're like, oh, I just don't feel like tr- trying today. I don't feel like going to the weight room. I don't. You have evidence of why you do what you do, Right. It's to play in these games. I mean, if you don't have, if you don't, you're not feeling the juice, if you're not feeling like a buzz going into this series and you're a player or you're a fan or whatever, like that's on you, right? What does Tito always say? Like, you know, if, if you don't have a pulse, if you're not, or if you're not excited for this series or something like that, then you should check your pulse or, um, I just, as a player, it's like, <laughs> this is. For once, Tito said something way more eloquently than anybody else did. Yeah. Certainly not what you just laid out. That's a bad job out of me. Um, I just, if you're a player, you like, especially the guys who have been through this twice now, it's like now you know why you put in that effort every single day. It's to get to games like this. And it's a reminder of like, you know, if, if you would have played better April through whatever, then it wouldn't even be such an uphill climb right now either. So it is a good thing. It can't hurt. I think that's another reason why it was a good move or moves that they made last week. Um, But, you know, you are still five games back. And do we agree? They probably have to sweep. Definitely have to sweep. I think after this weekend, yeah. If you... If you could have stolen a game this weekend against Tampa Bay and then playing Texas, the the four games felt way different than five does. Four games is where, okay, you take another one, maybe by the end of this week, you're three games back. That seems doable at this point in the calendar. If you come out of this twin series and you're only four games and you're four games back, that's still doable. But we're seeing that the twins are capable of of playing some good ball against a good team. I mean, they went to Texas, and I know Texas has had their issues, but you know they they were right there with the Rangers all series long, and they took two of those games, and that was a series that we we looked at and said maybe maybe they could drop two out of the three, but they didn't. So because this weekend played out the way that it did, and why I started the show talking the way that I did was a good weekend. If you take two out of three from Tampa, you should feel good, but you don't feel quite good enough because you didn't. You weren't able to make to maintain or make up any ground. You maintain where you're at, and certainly that would have been critical loss to even lose one game at this point in the calendar. But yeah, I think looking at this this upcoming week, you almost have to sweep to give yourself a real a real chance. It's not over if you don't, but to get a real chance, you really feel like you need to. Yeah, it's tough. Like the math is hard because if you win the series. It's either you're four back if you win two or three, or you're two back if you sweep. I think we could have agreed on like if you were somehow three back at the end of the series. Like if if the Guardians would have won today, Sunday, 
to move within four and then taking two or three from the Twins to move within three, I think that would have been acceptable. But that's not an option now. So it's either four or it's two. That's a huge swing. It's why I think, really think you have to get all three. And you've set up your pitching to do that. I think the Twins kind of did too, but... Yeah, I, I and again, like, you can play the schedule game if you want. We kind of did last week, but the Twins' schedule down the stretch, I mean, the very end of it is very favorable for them. Cleveland's is tougher. You get Baltimore for four at home, Texas for three at home. Obviously, the West Coast trip coming up. But um, you just you don't want to leave yourself too much work, too much ground to make up later. And you have the team you're chasing right in front of you in your house for three games. So I think you got a sweep. Yeah, it, it certainly feels that way. Do. I mean, <laughs> we we said before their, their trip to Minnesota that it almost felt like they needed to sweep the season series. They took two out of three, so they kept themselves alive. And that's the most important thing. If they, even if they take two out of three, you're, you're maintaining you're still alive here. Anything worse than that? pretty much putting that nail in the coffin. But it it also comes back, yeah, you wish you could have taken this game because, as you said, four versus five feels massive. That's a massive swing because then two out of three against Minnesota, it, it's more than just keeping you alive. But it also just shows you how important this past weekend was against Tampa Bay and two come-from-behind victories, Friday night, of course, and then Saturday. That was such a fun finish and it reminded me so much of of games we saw so much last year i mean you even tweeted guardiac kids like that they back it had that feeling it it was very reminiscent of of things that they did last year where guys were getting opportunities and they were running with them and they were i mean tana at that point it had what eight major league plate appearances at bats um and and he's getting an opportunity right there and how about the at-bat that Bo Naylor had before that? That shouldn't get overlooked because they were going to go to Fry if that runner was on third base with two outs. But when Bo Naylor drew that 10-pitch walk, what, was he down 0-2 in that? I mean, he was down in the account. And he fought back against Davinsky, and he showcased so much of what makes him a really special player throughout that game, whether it was his wheels on third, well, going first to third, later on the Tana hit and then scoring on the sack. How many catchers are you even trying that with his little pop up to center field where Sirish definitely should have let the right fielder take that one would have been a much easier throw for him. But you force the throw into the dugout basically because Bonell has got some wheels and Sarby can put on his, yeah, always go cap that he pretty much always keeps on because you've got a catcher there with some speed. It's so different. I mean, of course, if we're talking about any of the other catches that were rostered prior to Bo Naylor getting called up, I'm not going to say their names because I want to ruin anybody's Monday. You weren't going to take home plate in that situation, even if Siri's catching it and throwing it up the line. That's just like a, I'm going to take two steps and stop sort of a thing. Bo Naylor impacted so much of that game on Saturday night. And it just, it continues to, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Are you comfortable with him being the starting catcher? And at that point, yeah, I was. But as the, the week week and a half since we asked that question has unfolded, I've gotten so much more comfortable with that kid being the starting catcher in 24 because you're already seeing the seeds planted of what could make him a very special player laid out before our eyes. I think we've spent a lot of time, I say we as collective followers of the Guardians, on the shortstop situation, and understandably so, because this has been building for multiple years. We've spent so much time on the outfield situation because it's been an issue for decades. We haven't talked much about the catcher. And I feel like Bo Naylor is making strides all over the place. And it's sort of going under the radar. Um, There's legitimate... 25 homer power in there isn't there i mean like like it's easy i mean the ball that he hit out in was it minnesota where it was like a something in on his hands and it was 
off the plate, and he just pulled it. And I, I don't know how he hit it out, and it was effortless. Like it didn't even seem like he swung hard. And so like there's there's power in there. We've known that he's had 20 homer seasons in the minors, but like legit, like we would not be surprised if he hits 25 home runs next season. And we've known that he's got good plate discipline because he's had a healthy walk rate. He's been a contact guy. Like he hasn't, he's had last year in the minors. He didn't, his walks and strikeouts were almost even, I think. Um, so there's a lot to like, and it's interesting. Like that at bat you referenced where he draws the walk and he just worked the count, fouled off pitches that he couldn't do much with just to stay alive. And like that sort of thing that you want to see that from a young player. And in a big moment, of course, the speed you pointed out, you know, when you don't have to pinch run for your catcher, first of all, then why is Cam Gallagher on the roster? But also it's just, it's so valuable. You know, you're right. It's like Roberto Perez was not a quick dude. (laughs) We watched him run on the bases a lot. You know, Sandy Leon, like imagine him, like do you ever see him go first to third? <laughs> no. So I just, it's, there's a lot he can do. And I think people, I think for, understandably for a few reasons. Number one, I think people were a little impatient at first. Remember when he started over 20 or whatever it was, because everyone wanted to cut the cord with Mike Zanino. And they finally did. And you just assumed it was going to be better because it couldn't be worse. And it took a little bit to get to that point. And then not trading for Sean Murphy, I think it made it feel like, okay, well, then Bo Naylor better be the real deal. But it takes time. I think you've seen some strides defensively. I mean, he's made some really good plays at the plate that showcase his athleticism. You know, I, I don't know how he got that tag and kept that tag on after Jimenez threw a bullet from... 30 feet away. Oh my God. On Saturday yeah. night. It's just, you see certain things like it's there. There are a lot of tools there and I don't know what this looks like, but like, I like his swing a lot. I've been telling you for months that I love his swing. I like the plate discipline and the strike zone awareness, the power, the athleticism on the bases behind the plate. Of course, he's not going to be a finished product when it comes to, the transfer and throwing out runners and pop time and working with a pitching staff and all those things. And there's time for them to figure that out, but it's a pretty good foundation there. And I, I've just, it's, but has, I mean, has, has he even lost you a game in that arena? Like I haven't noticed him being bad. Do I notice like Cam Gallagher defensively? Do I notice him being better than Naylor is for instance? Yes. But like, I feel like Naylor's been good enough that I've never really been like, oh damn, that that's a that's where that more defensive-minded catcher really helps you out. Like, yeah, he drops the one that was coming in the one day that you could have gotten it out on, but th- I mean that could happen to anybody. Happens to good defenders. It, it just happened in that situation. And the main thing to me, because this has sort of been the theme of the last month or so since I thought we were gonna <laughs> look forward to 2024. Um, I've just, I've seen improvement. Like this is a better player right now, a player I would trust more at the plate. I would trust more behind the plate than I did in late June. You want to see that development, that progression. I've seen it with him. And the whole point of this, at least on the position player side is getting that out of as many guys as you can. So I think we've seen it from Bo Naylor. I think we've, we're finally starting to see it with Gabriel Arias. And then you start to wonder what can this look like over a full season next year? And with Naylor, I'm excited yeah. to see what that looks like. Cause I think, you know, I don't think this needs to be a dude who hits eighth or ninth who you pair with miles straw at the bottom of the order and yeah. doesn't play against lefties and you have training wheels on them. Yeah, it's certainly giving you enough that you're excited to see where this goes. And I, I don't expect it to be just this linear progression. We say it all the time that he's going to have hiccups. He's going to have moments where he goes through struggles. And sometimes those moments are just as important as anything else because you see if a guy can get out of that. And then once he knows he can get out of it, 
then he now operates with the thought that every time I go through an 0 for 10 skid, it's not the end of the world. I've emerged from this before, so it's important for us to see it. And more than anything, it's important for them to experience it and to get better. And we have, you know, we, we talk out in the pitching, on the pitching side, Bybee looks so much better and more polished than he did when he first got here. Gavin Williams certainly does. Now, Logan Allen has had his, his issues. You don't know how much of that is just a guy that's tired at the end of the year, had a, a healthy workload here. And he certainly doesn't operate with the same level of stuff that the other two teammates do. But, I mean, he's, he's had his moments where he's been just fine. To see some level of these, these young prospects showing you something where they're improving and they're, they, they, they do have things that they, they need to get better at, like Gabriel Arias. Of course, he's not a finished product. But damn, don't you see enough to at least give you a little bit of something that you, you want to see some more? Now, if I can do anything, it's to just beg you to, if you want to talk all these good things about Bo Naylor, do it. That's your guy. Can you just stay away from Gabriel Arias? Can you stop tweeting me things that gets him to go into an 0 for 4 stretch with 4 strikeouts? Can you just acknowledge that you need to stop jumping on board the, the train of the player hype that I have created for, for my guys? Just stay away from them and leave the misel jinx out of this. That was pretty perfectly timed. <laughs> but that was, I mean, the home run he hit Saturday... Again, I'm going to keep using this word. It's effortless. It was a fastball, I think. I'm trying to remember the pitch. It was like 91 miles an hour. And it was over the plate. He just flicked it to right field. I mean, it was didn't seem very difficult. And then you start to wonder, you know, what is... What do 150 games of him next season with the confidence, with the backing that he's the shortstop, what does that look like? Like, I... What's his ceiling power-wise? Can he hit 30 home runs? Yeah. I'm skeptical of that. You know, even when I've talked about all these great things that I enjoy about him, I I maintain that I don't see him as the, I mean, maybe ceiling, has the ceiling of a star, but I really don't think that's attainable for him. I, I do think the limitations are going to hold him back, most notably some of the swing decisions he's he's made. Now, to his credit, he's, had a healthy walk rate this year. The stuff that's that's clearly out of the zone. Like he's not pulling the Oscar Gonzalez here, where it's Can he in be the other batter's box. Isak Paredes. <laughs> but my point is, if you get that with tremendous defense at shortstop, that's a nice player. I don't. I don't look at him like I need this kid to hit fifth for me, and I need him to hit thirty bombs for me. I think complimentary. Is this a good? defensive shortstop that I can plug in the seventh spot and I don't care if he strikes out 33% of the time because he's got an ability to change the game with a three three run bomb to the opposite field as you just laid out because he's showcased he could be that right now now I, I just get excited when I think about a kid that could get better not drastically change not all of a sudden stop swinging and missing on pitches in the zone but just get incrementally better in the areas that he struggles so that he he unlocks just the best version of himself. I, I'm excited because you're seeing 100-mile-per-hour base hits all over the field. And even today, he has a string of four bad rat-bats, right? After the home run, he strikes out in, over the, the pair of games four times, comes back with still a pair of hits. And so I, 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 is that the same guy earlier in the season that would have been able to do that? I don't know, but even he has talked about just the confidence of playing every single day and what that can do for him. you got to be able to play. I like the skills. We'll see what happens. But I'm giving him every opportunity because, damn, I'm intrigued. Forget the Paredes comp. It was the slash lines that sucked me in a little bit. Because last year, 205, 304, 435. It's kind of like what Arias is doing this year if you take away some of that early weirdness when he was playing like once every three weeks. But he hit 20 home runs last year in 111 games. This year, 252, 349, 498. 27 homers already. But he doesn't strike out like Arias does. Brady's a good player. That was a nice trade by the Rays. They always win every trade. 
it seems like. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I the, the bottom line is we, we you're still thinking like of what can, here, by the way. What can the lineup look like next year? And I, this isn't a direction we need to go, but I, I, it seems a lot better if you have like Arius and Naylor at the bottom with the projection of what they could be based on what you've seen recently, as opposed to like Sunday when it was Gallagher and Straw hitting eighth and ninth. Stop. Because, yeah, this, these are must-win games, so to speak, but they're not being managed quite that way. And the bullpen's not being really utilized that way. Still keeping an eye... Like, to me, it was keeping an eye toward this twin series and not blowing up the bullpen and not running all the new new faces out there. We will see a new face coming up right out of the gate. Lucas Giolito. We talk about him? You're here. You're here. Yeah. So... <laughs> Sunday afternoon, Sunday early afternoon, I walked into Progressive Field with Lucas Giolito. And he was not going in the entrance he was supposed to go in, but he he has no idea where he's going. Usually arrives with the White Sox on the team bus. Pulls directly into the service level of the uh, ballpark and they walk a straight line to the visitor's clubhouse. Well, he didn't know where he was going. So I directed him to the clubhouse. And I would say three or four times along that walk, I had to do the, nope, nope, this way, this way. And, you know, it was funny. Like, this is, he's, I wrote it the other day, but like the week that these guys have had is unbelievable because this stuff is never supposed to be made public. I heard Keith Law say that, at least when he was working in front offices, like teams got hefty fines if they were caught leaking any of this information about waiver waiver stuff. So like the Angels put like they're like all conferencing, like what the hell does all this mean? Like what are we supposed to do? We have to play two games knowing that the Angels are trying to dump us for nothing and you know, just wacky. Not to mention the fact that the Angels were in Philadelphia. They finished their series against the Phillies, fly to San Francisco. And then they get in at 10 p.m. Pacific time. And then the next morning, they find out that the Guardians and Reds claimed them all. And so they got to fly back east that day, like two cross-country flights in 24 hours. Um, I don't know if, if, go read my story on The Athletic, but like Matt Moore was in the middle of a round of golf. And it was at a bougie golf club where there are no carts, there are no cell phones. And he sees this attendant flying down the fairway toward him. And he's like, oh, shit. I know what this is for. And he says, call your manager. Uh, call your GM. Like, you, you got to you gotta take care feel, of this. You feel some kinship there with, with Matt? You know, the, the, I feel kinship with always having my rounds games. of golf interrupted by baseball news. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just the, I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy. These guys will look, they'll reflect at the end of the year and be like, or they'll reflect in like 20 years and be like, remember those five weeks we spent with the Angels? And then remember those four weeks we spent with the Guardians? What a weird season. Anyway, so I'm walking in with Giolito and we finally get to the service level. And he's like, oh, I know where I am now. Like, been here enough times with the White Sox to, to recognize this. And then he immediately turns the wrong way. <laughs> I'm like, nope, you're still this way. Come on. Um so it's it's just it's funny because he goes from the White Sox to the Angels and he had played at the Angels Park all the time and been in the visitors clubhouse and then had to learn the home clubhouse. And how many times have you heard guys when they go back somewhere for the first time, they're like, Oh well, I like I've been here so many times, I've never been in this side of the ballpark, or I've never, and it's like, or I got lost going to the clubhouse. And it's like he he was at on the other side of the Angels clubhouse. And then he comes back to Cleveland, a place he's been to a million times because it's AL Central. And again, like always in the visitor's clubhouse, now you're in the home clubhouse. It's just, it's such a weird dynamic. Um, And certainly helps that they have three of them that they can lean on to go through this. And it probably helps that this is a team playing games that at least feel like they have some significance. So everybody's all in. And Giolito even said, he's like, I was with the White Sox looking across the field and seeing all the camaraderie these guys had, 
always seemed like they were scrapping late in games and, you know, like they were having a lot of fun and everybody on this team is best friends. And like, I think that's an easy environment to come into a situation like this in, but I just, the, the whirlwind that these guys have had for the last week or even really the last five or six weeks and everything they were going through in Chicago and that team, and not even just this year, but last year and La Russa and crumbling in September and everything. I mean, it's just been nuts that it finally probably feels nice to be in a franchise that seems somewhat stable, but like probably only going to be here for a few <laughs> yeah. weeks and then it's off to somewhere else. And for, for Maybe. feeling stable, it's been a pretty chaotic month or so for the guardians too, with, trades and some unrest in the clubhouse and the front office flying down there and key injuries and Noah Syndergaard and, and, and oh by the way the manager's probably retiring and it's just this has just been <laughs> nutty yeah I can't imagine uh going through that I mean anybody that, that myself that experienced the level of anxiety for going to a new place and not knowing the parking situation it could be the great you're telling me this is gonna have, we're gonna have the greatest time ever but I don't know the parking situation. I'm immediately regretting what we're gonna we're gonna about to do. I don't feel comfortable with that. And so I, it's the same with all these players. Adam Simber, I think, told us like one day he he goes into the clubhouse, he opens it's like the janitor's closet. Whoops, that's that that's not where I'm supposed to be. This sharp left turn, by the way, is brought to you by SeatGeek. Use code Selby get twenty dollars off your first ticket purchase. And it's not just baseball; like ba- baseball season ends. Doesn't mean you have to stop using that code. So first purchase over at SeatGeek, use code Selby. Give me your Super Bowl prediction. (laughs) No, brace yourself. This is going to end up back where it needs to be, I promise you. But you remember several episodes ago, you brought up in Space Jam at halftime, Bugs Bunny gives the rest of the cartoons Michael's secret something or other. Remember you Mm. telling me this? No, but and sure. I, I say, do you remember because you actually brought this up on on a podcast at some point? And so this is it's a it's a placebo. It was water, but all the cartoons think this is what Michael Jordan used to become a great player. And in the second half, they dominate. <laughs> I wonder if you're a pitcher, you come to the Guardians organization. Let's say Giolito, you've had some issues this year. You weren't yourself last year either. But it's in there. Like there, At one point, everyone saw that you could be a top-of-the-rotation pitcher and live up to your prospect hype at one point. Do you think when you come to the Guardians, do they take advantage of the fact that they have the reputation that they do as being this great pitching factory, and if, if you can be fixed, we can do it? And so do I wonder, does Carl Willis say something like, I really think you need to do this or that? And knowing it's just totally a placebo. It's going to have no... Like, these pitchers going to new teams, there's no way Aaron Savali completely changed as a pitcher based on what's going to happen now that he's in Tampa Bay. You see subtle adjustments. It's stuff that they were probably already working on. But do you think as an organization, you tell a pitcher, hey, I think you should try this. You should do this. And the the player's like, yeah. Yeah, the Guardians are telling me this. I'm going to get the Scott Kazmir treatment. I'm going to revitalize my career like Ubaldo Jimenez did in that one season in 2013. I'm going to turn my career around based on the way that they've developed pitching all these years. Yeah, I'm going to do that one thing. And it really doesn't matter. It's only about giving them the confidence to succeed. And in the case of Giolito, you can't tell him to come here and we're going to completely overhaul your pitching. Based on what? He just got here. You can't do that. But I wonder... Just being a part of the organization and knowing that they have this reputation, does that give a pitcher that maybe was on the the precipice of a breakout just that little extra push to help get them there? I mean, Giolito unprompted mentioned, he said the words Cleveland Pitching Factory today, and then he, he said it's known around the league. That said, he's here for four weeks. And I think, I know the way Carl Willis likes to operate is to kind of be hands-off at first. He doesn't want new guys coming in and him acting like he knows everything about them inside and out. Because you have to know how someone ticks too, right? You have to know the thing, 
everyone always asks for like, what's the secret sauce to pitching factory and how are they able to do that? I, I hear that question asked in interviews so often. And it's like, like, like a young pitcher comes up. Like I, I, I can specifically, specifically remember one example of it happening this year with like a young pitcher and it's asked in a press conference and it's like, you think this guy has all the answers and it's just going to like tell you right here. And it's, or I hear it asked on like a radio interview with a reporter and it's just, it's not, there isn't like some handbook. There are keys and the main one, and a lot of them are going to sound cliche or they're going to sound pretty elementary. But the point is that you know how to communicate. Like the, the, the best examples I have are of times where they do have a recommendation for a pitcher. But instead of just saying, do this and hoping that they listen to you, you're able to have a dialogue about it. When they suggested to Bieber, you should probably throw a change up. You don't need it as you climb through the minors here and dominate everyone because you have pinpoint command. So you might think this is stupid to add a new pitch to your arsenal right now when you're cruising. But when you get to the majors, it could really pay dividends. And he's in double A and he's like, oh, okay, fine. But instead of just saying that, they explain they, how it's going to play off your other pitches. How, with, what might be the best way to throw it, to grip it, the sequences to use it in. And they work with the pitcher and they see like, how, what might you be comfortable with? When might you use it? Like, can we have a few starts where we're not evaluating you critically because you're trying to implement something new? Like having that dialogue is the key to everything, right? So that's why it was interesting when Noah Syndergaard arrived and like the first thing he said was, I've had so many people in my head telling me, do this, do that, do this, do that. And he just wanted to like, just have quiet and just pitch. I think Cleveland was the right place to do that because I think Carl Willis wants to just sit back and watch for a little bit because then he can learn and he can maybe say something on a side day instead of, okay, Lucas Giolito starts Monday and he goes six innings and gives up four runs and here are my takeaways and on Tuesday morning, I'm going to tell him, do this, do this, do this, and it'll be better. It's like, that guy is going to be overwhelmed. You don't know the best methods of really reaching him. You know, think about Carlos Carrasco and his career. Like how many times, like that, that whole project was a headache for years, right? Cause they couldn't quite figure out how to get through to him. And he was inconsistent. They weren't sure what the role was. Then he goes in the bullpen Then he goes back to the rotation and they really figured it out. And the key was just communication. It was, it was telling him, like, go in the bullpen and just take a deep breath. Work with Kevin Cash. And then when you are ready and everyone agrees you're ready, you go back into the rotation. It's just like, this shit takes time. So it's interesting. Like, I, I've always wondered, I mean, the part of the issue and, and maybe the answer to your question, like, you just referenced Ubaldo Jimenez and Scott Kazner. That was a decade ago. They just They don't bring in starting pitching from the outside, especially in free agency. Um, so we haven't really had examples of that. I think, I think it could work with relievers um, who just haven't tapped into their potential. And we see, it seems like we see a new reliever every year who they sort of fix or get to emerge. Um, and I think that can work. But I think what's impressive is like, like when Bybee comes up or Williams comes up or these young starting pitchers like I don't think Carl Willis is in there tinkering with things on day one day five day 10 I think you have to let it happen organically I think that's part of what makes them good is like someone described it to me as Carl Willis is good at like leading you to figure it out yourself and it's I mean you could use the cliche of the old teach someone to fish they'll fish forever get by them fish a giant eagle and 
they can eat that night and maybe eat leftovers the next day. I don't what whatever the phrase is. Um, I think that's kind of yes. Carl Willis's approach. And it's a smart one because if you feel like you put in the work to arrive at that answer, even if you were pushed in that direction, you're going to stay committed to it. You're going to feel better about it. You're going to be more all you're going to be all about whatever that transformation is or getting back to basics or whatever they're looking to accomplish. It's the whole idea of you push your significant other to the place you want to eat, but you make it seem like it's their idea and everything goes off swimmingly. It's, it's, it's awesome. That's the, it's the best way to live. Cause if it's your idea and things go wrong, you're never going back to that place ever again. So I get nervous when it's my idea because this could be the last time we ever get to eat at this restaurant. And so I, I'm always very cautious about that, but there are times where it goes poorly and you get a second chance or maybe things were great. When you first went there, then you had a bad experience, but you, you reflect back, back on the things that, that were great the first times you were there. And then you come back and they redeem themselves. And that would be the case of Xavier Curry, who had a couple of starts where everyone was ready to get rid of this guy, kick him to the curb. I got a tweet like, oh, so much for your guys' MVP conversations about Curry, as if, yes, we really meant that Xavier Curry was the MVP of the team. And by the way, even if Curry just got kicked in the head the rest of his starts, doesn't take away from the fact that he did those things earlier in the year. And you thank him for doing those things. But as I texted you, are we just so spoiled watching all of this pitching? There are teams that are falling all over themselves to get performances from the guys that are like their depth, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh starters, to go out there in situations and games where you need to win. And yeah, they didn't win on Sunday. But it wasn't because of Xavier Curry. Xavier Curry was really good and probably should have been taken out of the game before things started to go poorly. But he, like, if that's your depth starter, that's amazing. Teams, good teams need depth like that. He is not my fourth or fifth pick in this rotation if everybody's healthy and ready to go. But damn, over 162 games do you need guys like Xavier Curry. And it's why, yeah, he's had some bad outings and been probably overexposed at times against some good teams. But that's a quality pitcher. That's a, a guy that I'm so happy that the Guardians have. Because he can go out and do what he did today, whether it's shadow, it, it helped by the shadows or not, <laughs> whatever. He gave you a performance in a, a situation where everything kind of feels like the playoffs to an extent. He gave you a performance that you'd be extremely happy if that happened in the playoffs. You need guys like that. You need depth. He's, he was, he's, he's not like an ace. I mean, he, I, I've been surprised at how consistent he's been. I mean, he's been really reliable and it's funny because we all think of the three rookies and we've talked about Bybee and Williams and Allen since April. And yet Curry's a rookie. He had two starts last season. Like he's not much different than the other three. Um, but I think because he's bounced between so many different roles and um, we, we just, he doesn't feel like a rookie. Um, so he's been great. I think you're right. You need people like that. You need, you can dream up in your head what the rotation looks like next year. And maybe it's Bybee McKenzie, Bieber, Bybee, McKenzie, Williams, Allen. Or maybe it's not, Bieber's not in there and someone else is your number five. But I don't know if Curry is going to be part of that or not. I don't know where he fits, but I know that having someone like him around is a luxury. And, you know, if, if you do trade Bieber, if you're, if you do part ways with Quantrill, like, you know, I don't think this isn't a team that usually says like, okay, we'll take someone like Joey Cantillo and just throw him in the opening day rotation, right? So it's it's good to just have someone who will, at, by next year, be an experienced pitcher in Curry and can probably fill in in whatever role you need. And no, I don't think he's going to have a sub-three ERA if you keep him in there all year, but he's proven he can 
handle whatever you throw at them. And there's a lot of utility in that. Well, while you're speaking through things that are, are real, things that are actually going to happen, in terms of looking ahead to next year, let me throw something at you that maybe isn't real. Of the three guys that they brought in, Lopez, Giolito, Moore. I can paint you a scenario where you can keep one of them. I don't know how it works. Let's say it doesn't cripple you financially. Isn't Which there a the huge 3D? difference between the 29-year-old starting pitcher with a really good track record and two good but two relievers? One of them sure, in his mid-30s? Well, this is why I'm interested to get your answer to this. Because there are many things that it could suggest, depending on who you pick. So I can keep one of the three? Keep one of the three. I mean, I, I would I mean, keep you said Giolito. on Patreon, patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast. That part of this could be fueled by an ability to show them this is what we do, and maybe you'd like to stick around here next year. Yeah, I, w- I would keep the starting pitcher just because you could keep Giolito and trade Bieber and trade Quantrill, I guess. I mean, there's value to all three. I think I, all three are good players. Like, they're players that if I were running the team, I would want to keep. I just don't see it financially. But we talked about it. It's like, it's similar to the experience for young players. It's like just having them here for a month in, in a good situation too. Like Giolito arrived late Friday during the game and they kind of told him, Hey, don't come down to the dugout. Cause like we're trying them out to come back and like, we don't want you to be a distraction. We don't want you to feel like you're being a distraction. We don't want like everyone introducing themselves to you, but then like, Oh, they got to go bad. Like, so he kind of hung back and then he spent Saturday in the dugout. And it's like, Hey, here's your first game with the team. Uh, just batshit crazy. And they come back in the ninth with two outs and then they come back again in the 11th. Like, it's just like, that's fun. Right? So I'm not saying that that's going to keep him in Cleveland because I'm sure he'll get a multi-year deal somewhere else, but can't hurt. Like that's a good thing. It's only a positive. And I think that goes for the relievers too. So I, I don't know, but I think, I think they'd love to keep any of them. I mean, the, the relievers are interesting too, because we've talked about like they, it's felt like they're like one reliever, like a seventh or eighth inning guy away from having a really, really good bullpen. Yeah, I, I, I'm already in my mind envisioning scenarios where more could still be here <laughs> in 24. And I say more because he kind of feels like, of all the, the three, Giolito is, you're not going to take the risk on a guy like that, more than likely, for this organization is not. Lopez still has that upside as a reliever. More feels like he could comfortably fit into their plans. You know, he's a little bit older. And so he's not going to get this lengthy deal. Like, I, I think it, that could work out. The other benefit in, in this, let's say in some scenarios, I mean, they see the same thing we do about the bullpen. They, maybe they like to add a bullpen arm this offseason. Maybe these two guys were on their list. You can now get an up-close and personal look at how these guys work. I mean, you, you, you knew what their stuff was, so I mean, there's no surprise there. But you see how they go about their routines. You're not relying on somebody else to say, hey, I, I think that guy would be a good clubhouse fit. You can see that now right up close. You, you can see how this guy might work with younger players or doesn't get along with younger players or is prickly. You don't know. But if, he, if either one of, if Lopez or more, if either one of those guys would have been on your radar at the end of this year, I, I think that's cool that you get a chance to maybe see if they fit with you. It's it's all, I can't think of a downside of just any tentacle of all this. You know, if they would have had to like DFA, and I think we both thought Haas seemed like a solid fit as a backup catcher, but they clearly didn't. 
But if if you, as long as you weren't DFAing anyone critical to the future or present, then there was no downside to this. It's having veteran players who can help you and aren't blocking other people is very beneficial. And I don't know who knows where this goes, but it at least makes the next three days pretty interesting. Damn straight. It does tomorrow it's just against weird. Minnesota at progressive field on Monday. You could see G Lito Moore and Lopez all pitch for Cleveland against the Twins. What? <laughs> Imagine 10 days ago. I told you. So here it is. Here it is. Here's the scenario. It's Lopez against Giolito tomorrow night as we record this on Sunday at Progressive Field. We're saying that they're likely going to need to sweep. Is that dream still going to be alive on the 5th? Are we coming in on Tuesday still thinking? Yes, I'm asking you for a prediction. Predict this series. Give me it. Gilito and Lopez on Monday. Bybee against Gray on Tuesday. Williams against Ryan on Wednesday. I mean, those are both teams' top three starters. Premium pitching matchups. You really want me to tell you what's going to happen? You want me to put the Meisel touch on this? (laughs) Based based on the college football games you said you were watching, I'm preparing to do the opposite of whatever you say to do here. Give me the George Costanza treatment here. I'm going to say a Bills-Cowboys Super Bowl, but watch out for my Dark Horse Chargers. And I'm going to say the Guardians take two of three just to keep us still still intrigued, but not quite (laughs) full-fledged. They're going to do what they've done all year, right? Good, but not quite great. Why bet against the track record? You're right. You're right. All right, now I'm off to do the complete opposite of what you said. So don't take this as betting advice. Please don't come to us later. The only thing I'll beg you to do is become a Patreon supporter. And come join the Discord. It's a lot of fun. Zach, anything else to say? No. I hope Lucas Giolito found his way home. <laughs>